Hi, I'm Roger LeMate, President and CEO of UX Corporation. We're one of the largest out-the-basket-focused uranium juniors uh, in this space. We have five projects with production visibility that will be brought into production over the next uh, cycle or two. We have a large portfolio of opportunities that low-risk exploration, and then they, probably the largest portfolio of grassroots exploration projects in the basin. We're a little different play than most of the uranium juniors because we're a suite of opportunities that we expose our investors to as opposed to a single project. We have a large resource base of about 100, just under 150 million pounds. So we are one of the larger players in the basin uh, in a world that needs more uranium very urgently. Roger, I can see you. We saw, we saw you in uh, January when we you were talking about the winter exploration program that you were about to embark on. And we're going to talk about that in a minute. But what what a different world in three months, right? <laughs> yes, absolutely. Uh, it, it's, it, I, I don't think it should surprise those of us who have been through around the last cycle how quickly it changed. Because it changed just about as quickly back in 2005, six. Uh, but it's still stunning nonetheless, because it just feels like it, it was it was just yesterday that it was very different. Well, I th yeah, move very quickly back then. I think there was some very creative buying going on. But th th these these are different geopolitical uh, factors um, affecting us. We've we, we come off sort of supply constraint because of COVID. Um, we're seeing, you know, the, the Russia-Ukraine conflict um, perhaps... Uh, causing sanctions to be implemented and that's going to have all sorts of knock on knock on effects here and you know we we talk eternally about the big infrastructure uh, of reactors being built all around the world so that it, it for the same same effect different different causation I, I i suspect but what are you looking to and um in this market and saying well actually that's the one big thing moving things is it something as simple as spurt buying up inventory or is it bigger than that oh it's it's a huge part of it but it's only a piece of it. And, you know, strangely enough, when you go back and look at the events that happened back of the last sort of run cycle, it, there was four little events. They weren't little, but there were four significant events that reduced supply. And suddenly the panic was on. And, you know, when you look at this time around, we're kind of seeing four different events. They're different in the way that they manifest, but they all have supply interruption issues. And it's the kind of thing, you know, when you look at utility buyers, they're very comfortable. Uh, but it takes a couple of these events to make them go, oh, oh, I better make sure we got what we need. And it starts to panic. And, and you know, you look at today and going, uh, I kind of look at, at the macro world and uranium as two different world, two different sort of acts of the same play. There's the act that happened before Christmas and there's the act that happened after Christmas. And before Christmas is all about setting the scene. Uh, we saw those COVID supply interruptions. We've saw some supply discipline going back a couple of years from suppliers. Uh, we saw the remove the the complete disappearance of of midterm contracting, or not not complete disappearance, but practically the disappearance of it. And then you saw term contracting interest start to, to gear up and even Cameco talking about how much term contracting they did in the last quarter and into January this year. And it was a pretty significant amount. And then, which sort of says, hey, supply is in with spot doing their thing and really, really putting the screws on loose supply. Well, now we have a very tight market. And then the events that happened uh, after Christmas come into play and panic starts to entail uh, with utilities. But I'm not, we're not sure. I'm not sure we're even quite there yet with utilities. They're still poking around trying to find things that are, that are cheap. But um, certainly concern is there. Supply concern is there. And I, I find it really interesting because usually when I look at the market, I see leading indicators being movements in SWOO price, movements in, in, uh, in conversion price. And now what you see, if you look at the, the last few quarters uh, of price movements, maybe going back uh, six, seven months, they're all moving this quarter at the same time. And that's really unusual. And that usually indicates to me or suggests to me that, that your buyers, your utility buyers start in a panic. It's only the early days that they're starting to panic or starting to get concerned. Panic might not be the right word, but, you know, uh, trying to spread their risk out. And so it should be interesting to see whether we end up back uh, with what's happening in Russia, how, how the West continues to respond and whether we end up in a de facto um, uh, biofricated market like we saw in the late 80s and early 90s with the former CIS and Russian stuff, or whether we end up in a uh, non-regulated but consumer choice type of uh, biofricated market. It's, it's, um, I think that's, I think it's fascinating. I mean, we obviously, we, we, we talked maybe a year ago about Russian suspension agreements and, you know, all that kind of quite um, antagonistic language being used. 
now people are going, oh, we told you so. Um, but at the same time, politicians globally, US, I know there's, there's, there's um, some activity from senators in the US, Barossa and others, and politicians here in, the, in, in Europe, talking a language, but not yet ready to enact, hoping that Russia will withdraw and then we'll have to make tough decisions around energy security, other than long-term rather circumspect statements, I, I, I suspect. So how do you, well, I mean, I don't expect to have a view on, on the politics of, of, of Russia and Ukraine, but um, how long do you think politicians can hold out there? And what are the knock-on effects? Because the enrichment side of things Russia is sitting there with a significant portion of that, you know, um, no one, utilities, no, utilities can't withstand what could happen next if there is a suspension, sorry, sanction on all forms of uranium and uh, nuclear products and derivatives in the West. Oh, see, that's, the question is how fast can you build a capacity? Well, you know how fast, it's not very fast. Not very fast. Uh, are they heavily leveraged? Uh, there's no doubt, and there are not a lot of alternatives. So I, you know, I'm thinking of the U.S. situation a little bit more. There's certainly the uranium producers of America have been lobbying through Section 32 and the derivatives thereafter, and certainly have a whole lot of the "I told you so" like you said happening today. Um, I think it really, you know, the the nuclear utility or the the nuclear uh, utility lobby is very strong in the United States. So it should be interesting to see who wins that battle. Uh, I wonder whether we're going to see, I'm not sure if we're going to see necessarily legislated end to some of this choice, but I think there could be a bit of a consumer choice. And what I mean by that is, you know, hey, uh, I want to know that you, my utility, aren't using Russian supply. And I think that that's a, that's a smaller step, but I do think that's, that's starting to become there. I do think that utilities in the West are going to do their best to to try to de-link de themselves to the Russians. But I, I so if you're in a SWU position or if you're, you have SWU to sell, uh, if you are in a in a UF six or a conversion position, it's probably a really good time for you because they're going to they're going to need those limited supplies. They're going to be pretty tight. Um, I think to be to be you know that's one issue. The, I think the other one is what happens in Kazakhstan and what happens to Kazakhstan. How's Kazakhstan seen? in outside of the the sort of for the near beyond or whatever uh vladimir likes to call his former soviet union uh by my name uh, do do we consider kazakhstan and the west to be russian or russian-like enough that we put uh restrictions on them and then that will really create some panic because it's gonna it's gonna work all the way through the system uh while enrichment and conversion are a problem uranium is not as long as kazakhstan has access to the west and if they, that's just it tight, then then we have issues in all three sort of key uranium products. Yeah, yeah, interesting times. I mean, Kazakhstan is is the great mystery in, in all of this, the the, the, the enigma, enigma in a way. You know, there's the same. It's a separate sovereign state, obviously, but at the same time, it was Russian troops that came in and helped with the with the rioting in Kazakhstan when they had their own energy concerns last year. So. Like I said, I don't want to go down that track, but I want to come back to something that you said. You know, you talked about consumer choice, you know, saying to utilities, oh, we want to be sure that there's no Russian uh, product in here. Uh, I think the other consumer choice is, I don't want to pay four times what I'm paying now for my energy. That's mm -hmm. a very real concern when it comes to everyday decisions um, and disposable income available to people and choices they have to make over energy, food versus, you know, all the other costs that they have. So. This is why politicians are, are dancing that merry dance. <laughs> yeah, and and I, if I could predict it, I'd be sitting on a beach somewhere, calling in my trades and saying, oh, "I'm going to do this at the right time, that at the right time." It's very hard to say because yes, uh, until it hurts in the pocketbook for most people, and with the way the inflation starting to run a little bit of muck around most of the world, that's a huge issue, and I don't know how that's resolved. Um, I don't know how long. You know, we're certainly seeing in the last three weeks a complete sort of, I wouldn't say uh, certainly a, a more of an outrage and more of a unification of the West about what's happening over there. And I think a month ago, even maybe even a little as a month ago, people might've been able to forgive and forget um, about what's happened there if, if things were to end quickly. Ooh, a lot harder to do now. And, uh, but I, I don't know. I, if you told me that my electricity price is gonna double, would it make me think twice? 
possibly, possibly. Um, I don't know. I, I don't, I, I mean, I, I'm not saying me personally, but I think we, we as a group, you start to wonder about that. But I do, I do think if there's ever been a time that people would, would want to do that, it would probably. Yeah. I, again, it's a tough one. It wouldn't want to be a politician. Um, some, some, some tough, tough choices here because we'll have our own rioting on the street if, if, if that happens, I suspect. Look, um, here's a bigger question. Does it matter? Does it change the thesis one iota? It's nice to be sitting and jumping up and down on the sidelines saying, this is great. Sanctions, it's fantastic. So I'm, I am invested in a uranium explorer, developer, producer. So it's good news for me. Does it matter? Let's, let's say if the sanctions don't, Russian sanctions don't happen because it's a difficult decision for politicians to make. Does it change things? No, not in my mind. It just changes the time frame. There you go. It, it just changes the time frame of which we get to certain points. Uh, without the sang with sanctions, we get to that magic spot where, where the world realized. Well, first of all, the world's already realized. You know, I think uh, in my career in in this business, I've never seen nuclear more accepted as a power power source ever like in terms of clearing energy and such. So there's certainly momentum in, in a more uh, social license angle than there's probably ever been. Uh, and the need, the recognized need for nuclear is there. Uh, without sanctions, you end up in a world where maybe it's more a couple of years down the road where we realize, man, this long period of not investing in new production capacity is going to hurt. Yeah. Uh, with sanctions, it, it's it's hurts sooner than later. And and I and I do believe that it doesn't change things a whole lot; just changes the time frame and maybe the sharpness of the movement. Yeah, look, I agree. I agree with you over here again. Europe, we've we've had this kind of change, this EU taxonomy, including nuclear and gas as, as a green energy source. So that the there's a permission being given to politicians to include nuclear into conversation as, as part of our uh, energy security and and and, and uh, you know supply uh, over here. I think I've seen the same in America. So I, so I don't necessarily agree that the the nuclear lobbyists are powerful in the states. If I look at what happened with two, Section Two Three Two. Um, they did not move the needle. Politicians moved at their own pace. There was some sort of throw, throw, throw away um, offer, 150 million bucks, and no one's really understood well, how, where that gets distributed. So, but I think now, where you've got last year um, blackouts in Texas, you've got the threat of U.S. utilities shutting down some of their reactors. Um, and only sort of in last minute interventions, um, extending the life of those. It, it's, it's a very sort of an interesting space. So, you know, I, when you talk about the utilities are now getting a little bit more nervous, they're still looking for deals, but they're getting a little bit nervous about the, the, the mix of, um, supply and where it's coming from. Now, jurisdictional risk, never more than ever, it's going to be critical to them. Um, how, how quickly they'll start to move. You know, do, do you, do you, are you, what are you hearing on the ground? I know you're not a producer, but what you, you're ex Camaco, you, you still know people. What, what's the word? Certainly, the diversification of risk and moving away on new contracts away from that potential risk instead of being sort of doubled down on that is certainly there. And if you're an American utility, you've been already starting that process a couple of years ago with the Section 232 thing and knowing that there's a little bit of a, a you're already on a path to towards lesser Russian sourced uranium already. Um, so I do, I do think, and you see it, uh, uh, you see it even just looking at the prices of, of SWU conversion and uranium, you are seeing that happen already. People, the, the, the utilities are already starting to say, okay, uh, we better start looking at uh, diversification. So yeah, that's, that's what I hear. That's what I, uh, what you seem to see as well uh, in the marketplace. You see, uh, uh, and I think even before things really ratchet up, you see chemical bringing MacArthur River back, although gradually and reducing supply elsewhere as, a, as, a, as one of two things. And one is that they're starting to be crazy contract interest in diversifying supply. So that's an interesting sounds like, it, like we, we, we talk about it every week on our weekly uranium show at cruxinversa.com. You're going to come and join us on, a, on, a, on some panels coming up because I think the for, for people new to uranium and trying to understand the thesis, um, of it, you, you got to know what, what the moving parts are before you kind of place your bets, as it were. So, thank you for agreeing to come and do that in the next few weeks. Um, let's go back to you and what was going on here. Last time I spoke in January, you were talking about the winter exploration program. You've completed it now. 
I think it's important that we we sort of see you know the results of some of the things that have been going on over, over Christie Lake and uh, um, Hidden Bay, etc. But I I need to understand. Well, I would I would like you to articulate to me what kind of uranium junior are you? You've got a massive portfolio. We've always said, you know, it's been, where, what are we looking at? What do we do? You had an interesting year last year in the sense that you had that kind of JCU um, situation going on where you, you thought you had 100% of it. You had Denison come in and, and, and take a big chunk of it and you've kind of had shared the spoils as it were, probably the gentleman's agreement, which we, we thought it might end up having to be. But how do you make money? Where, where's the value being created? And forget, forget value. I'm not interested in value. I'm interested in how do shareholders make money? Because CEOs come on here and say, oh, we're, we're creating shareholder value, whatever that means. It's, it's like, how do you drive the, sh the share price up here? You've got so many things going on. You've got some money in the back pocket now. Um, you've got some good projects, some projects you're working on, and a whole bunch of stuff no one knows about. Plus, you've got Cobalt. There's so many things to look at. So how are you coming at this? So I think what we've done post-JCU is really try to formally split the company into three sort of segments. So the first segment is that production visibility. And we have those five projects that will have production visibility, some in the short term, some longer term. Uh, and you know, for the first couple that are on our, on our docket, we don't have to work those because there's major companies moving them forward for us. So we let them do their thing. We'll grow the company in our second tier which is that low risk exploration. These are the, the flagship type pro exploration projects with mineralized resources on them that are not closed off yet uh, and move those projects forward through new discovery, grow the pie in the interim. Uh, but, and then when it comes to the low end part of the portfolio, the grassroots stuff, that's really you know three options, explore, partner, monetize. And I think what's changed significantly in the last four months particularly is while we were investigating pieces to monetize, I think there are now probably bigger pieces that we can monetize that we haven't been able to monetize in the past because there's, there's investor interest in grassroots exploration in the uranium sector, which has not really existed even six months ago. There's to toying with it, but you know, there's more opportunity. So right. So should, 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 let's start with number one. But again, for a bit, I'm assuming there's a whole bunch of Gen Z audience here not heard this story before. That need to need to understand. There'll be shareholders going, well, what's changed here? Because you know, but don't look, don't get me wrong. You know, if I look look at where where you're at, depending on where you measure it from in 2020, you're up either four times or two times, right? So it's been okay. I'd have taken that back then, quite frankly, um, but. You've also got a kind of baying crowd going, you should be mm -hmm. doing more, Roger. So let, 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 let's lay it out. Okay. So let's start with the partners. Who are they? What are the, what are the, what are the projects? I, think, I know, but for people new to this. Well, on the production visible end are probably the nearest term prop project that we move towards production will be our Wheeler River project that we own through JCU. We own a small piece of that. Denison is the operator. So they're the ones going to be moving that one forward and they're doing all the technical work. We just, we watch them, we give them some uh, feedback. Uh, check up on what they're doing. And I'm very happy with their progress. Uh, in fact, even happier about the project since we bought in. Second on the list is probably is Millennium. Millennium is Cameco owns just a little under 70%. We own uh, through JCU 30.9%, which you own half of that. That's going to be Cameco's very next global exploration project. So I'm not a question of if it's going to be developed. It's a question of when it will be developed. And that's a cigar like replacement for sure. So we we those two are in the are, are pretty much lined up without a whole lot of us involvement, as, except as a partner. Uh, the next up on us would probably be Horseshoe and Raven. That's 100% owned by us. And I think that's probably the one area where we're changing our ideas right now. We've always said, uh, since I've been here at uh, UX, that when the market signals a need for more uranium and the price is supportive, we'd start to move that project forward. So I think we've hit those two things now. You're going to see us start to move that project forward towards the development pipeline. Okay, so, so, so right, I'll, I'll come back to that. Right, so so just in terms of the partner with with Wheeler River and Millennium, you've also got two different operators. There's there's a small percentage owned, owned by you. Was it uh, fifteen and a half? Well, fifteen point four five on Millennium, and, and Wheeler was it was was that five or ten? I can't remember. It's, it's uh, Wheeler is ten. Ten. We own a five. Got it. Okay. Millennium is thirty point zero nine. So we own half of that, just over fifteen. Right. 15.45. So those cool. aren't going to make UX into the next Cameco. Uh, we recognize that. It gives us some cash flow. 
uh, allows us to focus on the growth elsewhere. So our energies are all focused on our Christie Lakes, our Hidden Bay projects and such where we can make the next discovery with relatively low risk compared to a lot of our peers in the space. Okay, but, so, but, but let's be clear. Again, I, I want to get into this. I want to get into this. So you were talking about the the um, Millennium and and uh, Wheeler as cash flow, whether it be ongoing cash flowing at some distant point in the future, or a a, a kind of uh, exit event, some some like a, like a like a monetary event for you to fund the stuff that you want, you're going to clearly be in control of your, your Christie Lakes, your Hidden Bays, Waterfront River, Woolly, etc. Right. So that that's how people should position those two JV, not JV, partner projects. Correct. That, that's exactly how we see it. Cash. Okay. Cash at some point, whether it's a unity stream of cash or a, a big exit number. Got it. So let's come back to stuff that you you talked about horseshoe and raven, etc. Or you know, you know, you talk about um, increased exploration at Christie and Hidden Bay, etc. So what 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 are you looking at? We're we looking at uh, horseshoe raven. What where do we look next? We're we're I think we're still looking focused on growth, but horseshoe raven is sort of something now we have to look at and go. Okay, the criteria we wanted are now met. We've said all along it had to beat these criteria. It's now met. So now Meaning we have to go do the next. What's the criteria? The criteria was uranium price that would support development and a need for those pounds. Both have been met here over the last six months. So we're now in a position where we know from the previous work that we've done, this prop, we know the Raven Horseshoe on a, on a cash cost per basis is pretty comparable to some of the projects in the portfolio, like a Millennium. We now know we can move forward. Is it the biggest project in the world? No, but it allows us you know, a, a modest amount of one to two to three million pounds a year, depending on the, the schedule of, 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 of production, which would be, we get us in the producer status, tie it together with the other stuff that would already be in production. I think, I think if you're a US producer, that's fine. That's a good number. Exactly. So you're mimicking a, a basically a US ISR producer right. type company. Okay, so when when you say right, the price is right. Okay, spot price is up around. I don't know what it is. Sixty three, something like that. Sixty seventy five, according yeah. to trade tech. Okay, so right, th- there's there's where we're at at the price uh, as of this interview date. Um, how does that determine? Because that's only been there a while, right? And it's been so we've done it. it you know, y- y- if you're going borrowing money against that. <laughs> they're going to be like, uh, g- g- give me, give me the twelve month average, right, or whatever, twenty four month average, whatever they choose to do. So, why does that release you to go and advance that project now in terms of development? I, I probably well, the two criteria. The one I'd focus on is the need for more uranium in the market. The price sort of signals that, but I think when you're looking out there saying, okay, uh, we are now there's no longer a supply overhang in the market. We see things coming off. There's room to move into that market for a moder- or more modest sized project versus a very large project. Well, let's, think- talk, let's talk about that because you know if, if I'm if I'm listening to social media, there's been a supply uh, deficit for the last three years. You know, what why why is it more so now? If you talk to a utility, they're saying they've been in supply surplus for the last five years, and they're going to be for the next two or three years. So where are we? Right? Where are we in the market? And I think. The only real place you can get that sense is when you see the price of both term and spot start to move. That tells you that utilities believe that it's not it's not available as it used to be. Okay, spot's at like 63.75. Term is where now? Because that's the important one for people getting funding. Term is still in that $54 range. They're still in a little bit of backwardation. So right. we saw this in the last uh, upswing cycle as well. Okay, so cost, costs are up across the board. So is 55 today is, uh, the same as 55 two years ago? Oh gosh, no! Right, no, definitely. What's the new number? Definitely. I would say that you're probably in the sixty sixty five dollar range uh, today, and what it will be two years from now, anyone's guess. Okay, so we got we got some very dynamic and kind of fluid situation here around pricing, around cost of production, etc., and therefore margin. Uh, that's exciting. Um, so, how do you get something? How do you? I mean, how much cash are you sitting on today? How much cash are you sitting on it? How much are you allocating to Horseshoe Raven? A little under 4 million in our current cash in UEX. Mm -hmm. We have just a little uh, 3.9 million in JCU as well. Okay. So those two. Right. But it's 50-50. It's 50-50 with that. So so how do you advance, given that this change of thinking around Horseshoe Raven, how do you move that forward with 4 million bucks allocated there 
Like, well, I don't know. What's what, what are you allocating to it? Right now, our our board is just looking at how we're going to allocate to it. Right. So I haven't allocated anything yet, but it's something that we have to move. And I, we have a couple of choices there. We can either go really big and, and, and push really fast, or we can sit there and say, no, let's do a little more engineering work, up, uh, which is more paper related up front. So there's a big swing in the cost. And I really can't tell you exactly what that looks like. When, when's, when's how far do we move the scope, the scope, scope, excuse me, the scoping study results were received in 2016. And how, which path do we take? Do we take the aggressive bench scale testing study or do you do the more uh, smaller step first with the more column leach testing? Right. You, um, you've got me. a bunch of guys there who can act kind of chemicals. So you, you were considered cautious and conservative by nature, I, I suspect. I, I may be wrong. Mm. Tell me if I'm wrong. But uh, you would only move quickly in a market where you thought you could move into or take advantage of the cycle. Is Horseshoe, Horseshoe Raven isn't in a position to take advantage of this cycle, or is the reality of it with permitting as well, you know, further down the line? Mean that you don't need to rush into this. It is a it's a it's a it's a get rich slow scheme. <laughs> I would love to tell you that. Yeah, we're we're go full bore, and we're ready to two years from now. We'll be pouring. We'll be putting barrels of yellow cake together on Horse Raven. That's that's definitely not the case. Uh, when even when you look at Wheeler River and Millennium and Arrow and the in the other Athabasca piers, you know that list. They're not all. They're not going to be running two years from now. So if you're going to say you're going to take advantage of today's prices, the answer is no. Uh, you're taking advantage of tomorrow's prices sometime down the line. So I do believe that what we're seeing here, uh, we can move this a little more cautiously if we want. The question is, do we want to? Because we're not going to meet the two-year, we're probably more than five years on Raven Horseshoe production, which is why when I, when I tell you that we look at the first two, for, like Millennium and Wheeler first as cash flowing, that's probably more realistic than saying, yeah, we're going to at the same time get Horseshoe Raven to, the, to that spot because there is a permitting angle there. We know the permitting angle is going to take you know, four-ish more years to get to the finish line. And we're watching our friends go through those right now. So if we say that we're going to do it faster, I don't think that's very fair because that's that's not the way that the regulators work. It's not. It's not. No, I appreciate it. That's a very honest answer. Um, uh, but, but that being said, let me swing back. Uh, when we think we see the need for, for more uranium in the market, you're looking out at the fact that we're in a supply, you know, I believe we're in a supply shortfall. It's going to get bigger over the next five years, and there's nothing to fill the gap. So, well, the, and the, 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 well the, there's, but there's the conversation I think needs to be had with, with regards to, you know, like some of these African players, quite frankly, yeah. who, you know, I would argue are probably the next guys off the rank, and that's fine, and that meets a chunk of the requirement, but it's still not enough. So, the the the, the total requirement or the demand, so things is. We're, we're in deficit for, 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 for sure. Um, even if the Africans are the next ones off the rank and they've got some big projects, you know, they're, they're, they're talking four, eight million uh, pounds a year and that, that's fine, but still not enough. So does, does the West and, and the West up by the West, I mean, North, North America, does it start to expedite matters? Does it start to make permitting and licensing easier? quicker because there's going to be the need for it or do things need to be done properly oh, things always need to be done properly there's no given and i'd like to sit there and say that governments are going to move faster uh but that doesn't seem to always be the case i i, I would like to think that uh that when you look at in canada particularly where things are going that it will that government red tape will get easier uh and that the process will be streamlined uh but still meet all of the requirements. I just don't think that's a, a, a practical reality, uh, as we see, particularly in in North America, particularly in Canada. Um, more social issues come to the forefront, and not so much anti-uranium social issues, but you know, sort of ownership issues and, and engagement issues, particularly with First Nations. So I can't see that, even if the government angle gets faster. And I think that's very doable because that's gonna, there's going to be a wish to do that. Uh, I think the proper engagement is going to put things back in the same track anyway. And that, that's probably that's a do it right thing anyway. So, um, yeah. I, well, I, 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 I don't get the social license, and the regulators in Canada won't allow you to go forward anyway. Right. 
Exactly. And I think there's a big conversation around around that um, whole ESG agenda. But also this kind of, um, I was talking to someone this week and we sort of, he was arguing the case, you know, activists, whether it be individuals, local or, or international NGOs, are actually quite good for the mining industry because they kind of hold your feet to the fire and say, we appreciate that there's a need for mining because everything we wear, use and do every day is is it is. Or, or as a result of stuff that's come out of the ground, but you need to be better. You need to be more responsible, and you need to be accountable for the way that you do that. So I, you know, I, I kind of it's interesting when you sort of try and work out who is your community. It's quite a it's a big community, but it also involves activists and trying to you know educate people. So uh, a tough one there. Um, so g- given all of that, Horseshoe Raven, you've got a decision to make, and so we could expect to sort of see. You guys make a decision when and talk to the market when. And if you are going to go big, that suggests you're going to need to come back and, and ask the market and raise some money at some point of some Potentially, quantum, yeah. right? Well, likely. Likely if we go big, yes. Right. Well, even yeah. if you go medium, you know, it's four million. You've got to spread that, spread the love across the rest of the portfolio, right? So, and you've got some GNA. So it's coming. It's a question of what that number is. And so, what's the timing on having that conversation internally and then? Letting the market know. For for us, I think that's probably a decision that comes out in the next two months, so say around mid June, uh, when we decide what we're going to do. Part of it is too getting our permitting in place. We're putting our permitting in place to do it in case we like that's the way we want to go. So part of that, uh, we couldn't go, we can't go sooner than that because of that alone. Uh, but yes, I think mid June is about the time we make those decisions about whether we go big or go small. Right. Now might be the time to kind of jump in with the winter program and, and, and what you did, you know, because like I said, there's there's the kind of um, the low risk exploration stuff, you know, the, the kind of Christie Lake, Hidden Bay, Waterfound River, Wally. It's you've got you're trying to make discoveries, right? Discoveries create create value. They get a, get a bit of excitement. Um, and again, come back to the budget. You got to allocate a decent amount of, of money to that. So, did you find anything during the winter program that kind of got you excited? Uh, I think when you look at Christie and you look at Waterfound, two completely different situations. So I'll address Christie first. Uh, Christie, I think what I was really excited about Christie was our team got our head around and, and had some evidence of things moving into the basement. So this is very much like our Shade Creek scenario. There's unconfirmed mineralization, but we see the potential in the basement. And we did get a, a good program done. We had a, a plan under the deposits to go, okay, where do we, where do we need to focus? And it's a two-phase program. So phase one is where do we need to focus? That's the winter component. Second component is the winter is following up on that. So what I love to sit there and say, we hit the next big monster intersection under Christie Lake. I think we were hoping in their sort of seven target areas under the deposits themselves that we would one of them would, would yield a, what we call sort of permissive adjacent to the basement. We end up with three. So we were pretty excited about that because that was three times what we were hoping for. I mean, you always wish for the big next deposit, but we, based on experience of our vice president and myself and and, and our team um, working at places like Rabbit Lake, where you go, ah, what do you need to see to chase things into the basin? We're pretty excited about that. That's a summer. That's a but summer. Explain what that means. We 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 had three. We had three what? Which which says what? And what's the big so what? We saw enhanced structure going into the basement with the clay alteration and anomalous radioactivity that tells you that your radiant fluids are continuing down into the basement right. rocks. What's that, which, mean? what's that mean in English? So in English, what we're looking for is a place for the uranium is being carried in these fluids and somewhere it's going to drop out. So we're, we've, we've now sort of learned, hey, we, had, we've, we found the plumbing. We just need to find the place where it's settled out of the plumbing. Okay. And so you can, and what, what do you think? See, can you see the direction that's moving in? Is that that easy? Is that easy process? Is it a cheap process? Uh, yes and no. It's a little bit, a little bit of art, a little bit of science for sure. We have, you have two choices. Down is definitely the one choice that was most obvious. A little bit of lateral for sure. I don't, I think we've sort of constrained things to pipes like in, in gold or shoots, which is exactly what an eagle point is. And so the thing that always, you know, I think the one thing that always struck me about Eagle Point when I worked there, one of the deposits we found that they, when they eventually mined it, they drifted along it. They took us out there and we were following a little structure. It was about this wide and we chased it and chased it down or we, we followed it down the drift. And then we hit the controlling feature that that intersected. And it went from being this wide to being five meters wide to 25 meters wide in a 10 meter long space. 
and high grade. So that's the kind of thing we're looking for uh, at Christie Lake to find additional lenses. So I think we've, we were hoping to find one. We found three where we're on that, that thing. It's probably wider than that. It's wider than that, but it's, that's based on our experience. That's what you want to see. Uh, but I think we got a, another surprise at Christie Lake this year in a positive way by hitting uh, it's on the news release between our A and B trends, uh, very anomalous reactivity high up in the soundstone column. And what's unusual about that, it wasn't ore grade, so people go, oh, yeah, it doesn't drink the market. Uh, but usually amongst some of the big deposits, you don't see an almost radioactivity 180 meters above the unconforming. That's really odd. Uh, I can think of a handful of places where that happens. Uh, MacArthur River, Shea Creek, Cigar Lake, uh, and maybe the Fox Lake deposits now west of MacArthur River, where you're getting that kind of alteration in, sounds, uh, in the soundstone that high up with radioactivity. So it suggests there's a big hydrothermal system at play in an area that we have done almost no work on uh, and our predecessors haven't either. So that's going to require follow-up. That's probably not the brownfields component. That's more of that mid-stage to, to grassroots component of that property, but it, it, it's a priority follow-up area. And we'll be back there again in the summer doing that as well. At, water, at Waterfound, completely different scenario. It's a minority stake in an Arano-operated property on our grassroots portfolio. Uh, and it just shows, you know, when, when these old properties that have seen very little expiration since the 1990s get looked at with a fresh eye, that they can yield results. So we're pretty excited about what Arano has been able to accomplish there. Very high-grade mineralization with wide open in both directions. Uh, we were a little unhappy that they pulled the drills there. Uh, after making the discovery hole to be able to send that drill down to another property uh, that wasn't part of our joint venture uh, because they had some issues with their contractor there, but they were are planning and we're planning already to come back in the summer. So all I've done is delay the next couple intersections, I think, but yeah, that shows you the power of our grassroots portfolio uh, with very little effort on our part and very little cost. Right. So, um, and how much did they spend there before they pulled the, 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 the drill that? Oh, uh, they have a, a $2 million budget, but I, okay. I have to remember, they think they're about 800000 into it. Okay. Okay. So they'll, they'll be back. They'll be back. Um, and Hidden Bay? Hidden Bay, we're working north of the Raven Horseshoe Deposit. Um, our teams continue to find an enigma there. I think we're going to have to really think hard about the results there with some chemistry. We'll get the, the chemistry results back in about uh, six to eight weeks. Uh, I'm not sure it's going to be the area we want to continue to focus on, but uh, we'll see. We'll see. We have more more areas that we're more interested in chasing down probably than this one based on the results. But I don't know what to say. There's, a, there's an alteration that you'd see at Raven and Horseshoe all over the place in that area. We just haven't been able to chase it to somewhere that uh, this program didn't chase it to somewhere where there's mineralization. Okay. Does it feel to you like you need one big success for kind of for people to wrap their heads around because like any we can we can also talk about uh, woolly on here um you've got a massive portfolio in here should you just get a little bit focused now because like for a long time it's been inactive right inactivity really you know small small drill programs uh lots of things to look at you've got all these jvs going on with people you, you you hold small percentages of stuff which you're not in control of but you you could be a financial beneficiary too do you, do you think you just go after um, Horseshoe Raven and and just show people that you're good at what you do? Do you need a bit of that? Uh, I, I don't disagree that one, a discovery always focuses every company in our space. So yeah, everyone would love to have that. Uh, I think for us, it's about putting being committed to a process on a couple of one or two properties. So Christy being one of them. And really being able to chase down, we've we've upgraded the work that we've done at Christie this year, and, and now it's being persistent and putting the right capital in to chase it down. So that's going to be our focus program for for the next couple right. of years. Sure. I'll tell you something. In the time I've been speaking to you, you get more excited about what's going on at Christie Lake than anything else I've ever heard. Because it, it kind of feels like you've been sort of having to talk admin the whole time, right? That's what it feels like. Whereas yeah. you you guys, the team is, is super like finding stuff. So. You know, that's for that, for that reason, you know, do you, are you slightly worried or slightly hesitant about talking about going and raising big money because, you know, you're going to get hammered by, you know, I don't know, a handful of retail guys who perhaps sure. want to tell sure. you. Sure, and, 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 and I won't lie, I've, I heard just earlier this week someone was trying to uh, say that we were interested in raising money today 
uh, tomorrow, last week. Uh, and uh, and their, their goal was to present us with a bot deal uh, out of the blue. And I was like, oh, you can't do that to us. That's, we're not ready for money right now. We have, we have the money we need to do what we want to do this year. And we've always been that company that said, do what we need, not what we can when it comes to raising money. Now, maybe that's not the smartest thing in the world to do. Uh, some people will say you take it when you money when you can get it. But we're very been very conscious about not diluting just for the sake of diluting people to have money. Uh, in markets where we're not moving as quickly as our peers. So our goal um, is to focus at Christie uh, this year, or this rest for the summer. Uh, consider what we want to do with Raven and Horseshoe, because those are things that we can control and create value on. And We'll see, we'll see what we need to do when we make that decision for sure, Raven. But for, for Christy, we're already where we need to be financially. Yeah, people do say that. You take the money when you can get it. And they, they always say that after you've taken it and it's been success. They never use that phrase when you've taken it and the market falls away. Never. <laughs> yeah. and, they, and, they, and, they, and usually they're the ones holding commissions on, on you raising that money. Yeah, so I know. I know. I, I, well, that was our job, right? In, in, in banking, I'm going to I'm going to offer you money when the sun is shining. I offer you umbrellas when the sun is shining, uh, not when it's raining. Um, you know, because I want commissions, and I, you know, it's it's very easy to do, and I'm not going to get in trouble for offering money in an environment like this. Um, I'm thinking of the fees, believe me. So, right, you'll do it at a time to suit you guys, and and, that, and that's fine. Slow, steady growth is absolutely fine. A conservative approach is fine. I've no problem with that. But you can need to be clear to investors coming in that is who you guys are. Right, and if people want the kind of you know rocket ride to the moon, then perhaps there are other more promotional companies that they should be looking at, and that's fine too. Lots of ways you can play it, and you know, suits your risk profile. Crack on. Um, I, I, I'm more interested in in business ideas and, and plans. So, um, talk to me about Cobalt. Cobalt market has gone nuts. We've made a ton of money in the last eighteen months on on Cobalt. Uh, it doesn't get better than this. What are you doing with your cobalt asset? Right. Uh, when I look at all of our, um, not just the cobalt assets, you know, I think they get, uh, let me circle back a bit. One of the things about the Iranian market changing and being grassroots exploration opportunities being valued in the marketplace as they haven't been in years is that instead of dealing off a property or two, uh, you know, we're looking, we recognize that we've been lagging the market. We, uh, in terms of, of, of appreciation compared to our peers, we've done well compared to general, but compared to our peers, we can do better. And there's certainly, as you see, a lot of talk in the space about, about you know, you've seen activities happen uh, from an M&A perspective. But we, we, were, we were down a process of saying, hey, maybe we should move off this property or that property and find partners on it. And then actually wondering, our board is investigating every opportunity to, ex- to extract value from the assets that don't create value in the company today or don't aren't seen as part of the value proposition. So when it comes to not just cobalt, but some of the lesser uranium aspects, we're looking at what should we do? Do we spin them out? Do we sell them? So from a cobalt angle, I love to say that it's hot. It's there. I've talked to people. They say, yeah, great. Um, I think we've kind of come to the conclusion that uh, Maybe the decision not to drill at Michael Lake this year was not the right decision because people want to see it a little bit bigger. So as a board, we're going to have to come back and say, do we want to put money in cobalt or do we, are we happy to do the spin out at a little less than what we were hoping to see? Okay. And when do we hear that? That's the, that's the, that's the question that gets me all the time because I haven't been able to find anybody that wants to support the cobalt angle, either from partnership point of view, or from a finance point of view, despite the fact that the cobalt market is there. And the weirdest thing about cobalt is that the, incumbents, the few incumbents that are in the space have done really well over the last couple of years. But what you're not seeing, like we saw in 2017, is a flurry of new entrants and, and, and there being value on exploration for cobalt. So there's a very big difference between the companies that are cobalt or, or developers and producers versus, hey, there's not been a groundswell for looking for new cobalt. So I think that's the very big difference here. We're not, this project, we think can move towards production, but we do also recognize, and I've always said that we think there needs to be more to be found uh, to make it happen. We were only half where we needed to be. So it's an exploration plane is being valued as such. So I, I would love to tell you that we're gonna do it tomorrow, but I need to find that partner that wants to come in with us. Or we have to invest more money in the ground. And we've been told pretty firmly by investors, no, that money is going into uranium. Okay. Commissions will be paid. Okay. Um, okay. Well, I, 
That's that's a, that's, that's a tough. I because I kind of I hear what you're saying with regards to expiration. It's, it's kind of a tough tough thing. You know, I'm, we're invested in um, developers and um, producers, and yeah, I, I I understand the market a little bit. Um, expiration is a little bit tough at the moment. I, I I hear you. So maybe we just well, I don't know. Maybe even if you sit on it for a while, it's maybe not such a bad thing. Um, that there's a moment. It, it, it's not being designed out of all batteries. So that's the rumor we continually have to d deal with. Is like it's not. Uh, there and there is um, a, a big demand for it. You know, we I think we're up five times on our on our cobalt uh, investments. Um, battery manufacturers they want it. They still want it. Um, okay, well, look, I, look, I'm not going to push you on that one. You've got some decisions to make. Okay, what about some of these uh, uranium? You know, whether it be greenfield or otherwise um, projects that you've got assets that you've got, there's going to be a whole troop, a whole posse riding into town wanting to talk uranium, raise money for uranium. Is that a better way for you to actually, you know, monetize some of this portfolio that you've been holding on to for all these years? Without, without a doubt, and we've said that we've wanted to monetize it for years. When when the there's support for that work, that work is there. We our board is actively considering those kind of opportunities. Because we just, we just, we, first of all, those projects aren't creating value in the PERG portfolio with the JCU acquisition. I think it does shift the company more towards advanced, advanced exploration and uh, that production visibility. And even in the best of markets, I can't see us putting big money into the ground on the grassroots projects. Cause we have, you know, I, I think when you, when I ask our team, I said, you know, if I came up if you got 10 million or 15 million a year, how long would it take for you on our core projects on the growth side to, to run out of targets? And it's well, how many years, 10 years, five years, uh, seven years, 12 years. So there's no chance that we're going to be putting a ton of money in those grassroots exploration projects. So it means sense to create value by, by finding a partner or spinning them out. But, uh, but it's about, for us, our board is about saying, how do we create, how do we narrow the gap right now between where we are and where or our peer companies, whether you consider them peers to be or not, because they've seen more value growth. What? Why are we not experiencing that? So we have to unlock value in different ways. No, okay. I, I, I again, I should see how that that plays out because I think there's a lot of people feel that they could um, go and raise a bunch of money off the back of the uranium thesis at oh, the moment. I, I don't have any issues that that could happen very quickly. Yeah, um, because it was a real there's a real desire. But if you go back six months ago, there was a couple of small deals you could do a property or two but not a package of properties hmm. to to a company that was wanted ipo or something like that whereas now i think there's a lot more money like you're talking about uh small amounts of money you know five ten million dollar companies uh looking to invest a million or two in the ground uh post ipo uh there's a very you know we've seen most recently a couple of notable significant movements in, in companies with assets that I think our grassroots portfolio already pleased, if not better than, that uh, would create great value. That they're blocks of, they're, they're, they're small or four or five property chunks that would make a lot more sense. Right, and I'll just ask the last one because it's a kind of combination of lots of questions sent in, which, which comes back to this money question, right? And we've discussed it a little bit, but again, are you sort of conscious of perception of how money was raised last year. And I, like, the whole JCU was, was a sort of extraordinary opportunity, but it was also a, a, a lot of confusion around it. Um, and you, know, you, you raised your money, which, which is great, but do you think you're sort of being punished for the way that you, rose, you raised the money, from where the money came from? Should you have looked at a combination of a bit more structured finance? Uh, could you have done that? I mean, it just, I mean, we talked about it at the time, but it's just worth kind of going over because I'm interested in how that affects your thinking about if you decide to raise some more money in the next couple of months, what that looks like. Is it just simple, you know, equity dilution? Um, or do you think that you could try and do it with sort of offloading some of these kind of grassroots um, projects or just get a little bit more creative? Uh, I do think that we can create some cash from some of our existing assets. So that's something that we definitely want to consider for sure, without a doubt. I think when I look at last, if we could have done that last year, uh, I think 
reality would have been that we would be getting a couple of hundreds of thousands to maybe a million or two max that we can do, which doesn't really move the needle a whole lot. And quite frankly, I think the market's shown that by, by waiting, the value of those assets are more today than they were a year ago. So happy we didn't do those things then. How do you say, why, why, do you, why do you say that? Why, how do you know they're more valuable today? How do you know you can get more money? Today? Well, if you were to take a look at uh, our smaller companies that are in the base in particularly, and look at what they've moved from being 10, $20 million companies to being 40, 50 to $100 million companies, that their, their underlying assets haven't changed. So you would have to argue that there's there's been a significant improvement in grassroots exploration properties, particularly in the Athabasca Basin. So are we asking for someone to come in and, and uh, do a property IPO us uh, and give us $250,000 and we'll piece the company? Probably not. That's what we would have been looking at uh, 12 months ago. But when it comes to what we did last year, I think you know we, had, we made a concerted effort uh, over the last couple of years to try to grow our institutional shareholder base. Uh, and so some of the raises were very focused on institutional raise. I think now that we've achieved that balance that we're looking for, that when we do future raises, if we do more conventional raise, it will be a little broader uh, and, and bring in, definitely bring in more retail. Mm. Okay. Okay. Uh, on a balanced basis. Okay. Here you go. Hey, well, let, we, let, let's, let's wrap it up there. I think we covered a lot of really interesting things and, and I appreciate your insight, uh, you know, in terms of the macro uh, for sure and your experience. Um, you know, last cycle and this, and more importantly, being re really clear about what it is that the plan is. You know, it's, it's slightly evolved. It's all kind of a bit nuanced, but it's, it seems a little bit more focused than than ever before. Um, so like, I, I'll see you in some of these panels. We'll, we'll talk, you know, with some other intelligent people about some interesting um, views of the marketplace. Um, so... So, you know, sorry, I didn't answer. What are, we, what are we looking for in terms of these catalysts now? Um, in terms of timing around these catalysts, just get, just finish with that. In terms of Christy Lake, catalysts. or Christy Lake and Horseshoe Raven, you know, what's the timing again? Just summary. Oh, when I, when I when I look at Christy Lake, we're looking at summer drill program. So you're looking in the the middle of the late third quarter. When you're looking at our found, that will be similar. Okay, because they're going to be war drilling in uh, starting in June. Uh, when I look, and then the other catalyst in our space will be uh, what do we, what happens with the grassroots exploration projects and the cobalt projects, and then the Wheeler River feasibility study uh, closer to the, at around year end.